In today's episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Natalie Ojiva, MBE. Natalie has an incredible story working herself up from cashier to vice president of a global tier one bank. She is a huge champion of diversity and inclusion and is the youngest ever black female MBE. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Honestly, I'm so excited to meet you. We uh, right. we had a, a conversation a couple months ago now, and honestly, I couldn't think of anyone more perfect to be on this podcast than you. So I'm really excited to get into it. And as we said both times when we've spoken, it's so important for people to see trailblazers just leading the path for them because then they know they can do it. And it's so much easier once you've seen someone else do it as well. So I want to get right into it. You know, where where does this start for you? How did you end up on this amazing path? It's a great question. Um, so my story is a little bit different than most people, right? So um grew up in South East London, if you can't tell from my accent, I say that. I'm really homing on that. Um, but, you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't like opportunities in the sense of I had mum and dad that worked in banking or they, you know, they were working. So um, I guess the opportunity kind of came about because I was a bit of a naughty one in in, in growing up in school um, and I got picked up by a charity. Mm-hmm. Um, so the charity was called XLP. They were there to support young people from disadvantaged backgrounds in inner city London. Um, and they made a gold band out of me and three of my best mates, which was absolutely amazing. Wow. And bewildering um yeah it's a little secret that I don't really share that much That's so a, I'm so happy you mentioned it <laughs> honestly I want to like, know everything no please don't ask me too many <laughs> questions about it um so yeah that took us out of you know our circumstances of being at school and what we had in our area right so I came up from the generation that and when I say it I think it sounds super normal but then when I speak to people they're like that was really your growing up in school. But in our school, which was Black Hue Blue Coats, which is now closed down, it was the previous school with Stephen Lawrence. Right. It wasn't unusual for us to have gang violence or see that type of um, narrative, if that makes sense. Mm. So it took us out of that and it gave us the opportunity to, for example, we went to Wretch 3-2's um, rehearsal Amazing. and actually got to see how he kind of structured himself. Yeah. Um, and yet, put me on stage which kind of gave me the confidence and then they had an opportunity to bring in a few young people onto an assessment day okay um at the bank and I was one of those people that I was like yes I will do it um and then you know 10 years later I'm actually still here (laughs) wow okay incredible and when you had that opportunity to go to the assessment center what made you think that's me especially from you know entertainment obviously super different you know what what made you jump at that do you know what I wouldn't say it was what's me. It was, I remember thinking, I don't think I will fit finance. I don't think I will fit the traditional look of a banker, right? Um, But it was, I have nothing to lose. Mm. And I think that's probably something that has always kind of stayed with me and resonated with me is having no isn't going to make my situation any worse. It's just going to make my situation the same, right? So there isn't, there shouldn't be a reason why I don't allow myself to be in these opportunities and to put myself forward. So I guess it was more of that in the sense of I don't have anything to lose. And I also know my ability, right? Mm. I'm, I'm a bit of a cocky person. That's great. <laughs> it's great. tell you. Yeah. Um, but I kind of knew my value, even though I didn't have work experience I knew that I was a hard worker and someone that would actually take it with two two hands so 
yeah, that's the kind of the motivation I had to apply for it and yeah. go to the assessment center. That's amazing. And I think it's uh, something which I'm fascinated by, which is I really think there there can be two versions of life. Well, I'm sure there can be many versions of life, but there's the rules that society gives you and say this is what you can do based on, on where you've come from, who you are, 100%. and then there's the reality of, well, actually, if you've got that self-belief, I can achieve anything. 100%. I completely agree with that. I think if I if I kind of went with the notion of the statistics that was kind mm-hmm. of held upon me, I never would have thought that I would be in banking or I would have got my MBE 10 years later and all of the kind of things that I've been able to accomplish. But what I've always had is that self-belief of my situation can change if I want it to change and I have the power to do that. I think that's something that I've had from very early yeah. from being a young child. I think it's one of the most important things that anyone can take from this is genuinely your perception is your reality. 100%. If you think it can happen and you believe it about yourself, it can happen. I say this all the time. Um, I say you can't... There is a power of strength of words. And even if you don't have what that thing is that you want, you saying it every day. I remember when um, I was in sixth form and I'd done the assessment centre mm-hmm. and I kept saying to all of my friends, I'm not I'm not going to be here for second year. I'm going to be working for the bank. Love don't that. don't get it twisted. Um, and then I got the results before my results day and I never went back to yeah. actually go and collect <laughs> my results. I was Amazing. like, yeah, I'm starting on this date. So I think, and that's an energy that I've kind of carried through with me is putting things out into the air and look, you have to do that in a safe way yeah. uh, with your safe circle. But I be- truly believe if you put it out there, it will happen. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I, I really, really think that. Um, I mean, out of interest, where do you think that comes from for you? Is that just something which is innate in you that you've always had? That's a good question. Um, I think it's part of my growing up. I think, you know, I both of my parents immigrated to this country so they wasn't born in the UK Mm -hmm. my mum comes from Trinidad and my dad comes from Nigeria Mm -hmm. um I was always kind of aware and I think for me especially uh mental health I think we've had this conversation is something that's really deep and something that I'm very passionate about so my mum had suffered from mental health um from before I was born Mm -hmm. right so I was always kind of aware that there are difficulties that you have Mm -hmm. in life but you can navigate them depending on how You want to navigate it, right? Um, And I saw the way my mum and dad worked. And, you know, my mum didn't necessarily work, but my dad was an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, He was in the export and import business with aquatic fish. Um, Wow. So completely different, right? That's great. But he made it work. Mm -hmm. And I guess seeing that and then, you know, uh, my life got a little bit difficult kind of moving forward. I lost my little brother when I was 15, Um, I think the motivation that I had was I can change my situation and I need to change my situation because no one else is going to control my life but me. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I guess it was probably a bit from my mum and dad and, you know, my circumstances that I was in. But I think that resilience has always kind of been there because of the adversities in the background. Yeah, that's incredible. And do you think your experience with understanding that changing your situation is in your hands has led to the passion for diversity and inclusion and helping get other people into that massively yeah. massively um when i started didn't see anyone that looked like me um and there's always that sense of i feel alone right mm. is is this really the place for me but one of the things that i think i've developed the mindset of is if there's not a place for me i can make a place for me right and i can make a place for my community so 
you know, when I started off, it was around how can I get young people in to understand mm-hmm. about apprenticeship schemes, not necessarily just at the bank, but other companies. Um, as I've kind of gone into my career, starting working with businesses, I, I recognised the lack of diverse businesses I was seeing on the mm. higher end of the scale in terms of turnover and revenue. And mm. I, again, I didn't understand why that was. So for me, it was around creating spaces for these founders to give them to the access of the knowledge and tools that they need. Yeah. But it's always been recognising you have to see it to believe it, mm. right? And you have to have access to those utensils. So, yeah, I think that's probably something that has probably stayed with me yeah. <laughs> for a long time. Uh, it's fascinating. It's, it's really fascinating. And there's two things. One, you know, genuinely from a, a just total place of respect. Um, I think, as you said, doing it so that other people can see the path is so important and that makes it so much easier but being the one to lay the path that's tough that's really really (laughs) tough so how proud are you of what you've done you know youngest ever black female mba i mean that's it's incredible but when you were laying down that path did you know what you were doing did you see where it was going tell us about it no i didn't um i think there's always the 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 passion of i want to do something now right but I think I didn't anticipate the journey that it would have had. And um, I really think that become, that comes from a sense of it was something authentic. It was something passionate. So it wasn't a money-grabbing scheme, right? It was something where I was like, you know what? We can genuinely do more in this space. And I'm actually happy to kind of do it side a desk. And yeah. I don't need to do it as a full-time role. Just give it to me and let me, let me bring this alive. And um, I think... Yeah, when I when I set this stuff up, I never kind of imagined where it would get to. But one of the things that I've been really conscious of is allowing other young people to recognise that they can do it as well. Mm-hmm. So this is why I'm really open about kind of my story and my background, because I'm really conscious, again, like you said, if you don't see it, you don't believe it, right? So um, you can get an MBE being in southeast london yeah. still having a southeast london accent and you know still living in the ends and you don't have to leave the ends to be able to achieve you can achieve in your own lane right mm. um but yeah i think that's probably been what his um carried me through on it is just understanding that you can do it yeah if you really put your mind to yeah. it and it's incredible because um we had on the podcast a couple of months back pierce linney um yes. pierce who's been super successful and when we were talking about this you know one of the things that he not regrets, just the reality of, of the time and the area that he grew up in was when he got into the world of banking, you know, he had to mask. Yeah. You know, he had massively. to, he massively, so it's amazing to see that, you know, in 20 years, maybe even less, I don't want to offend Pierce and, oh. and say he's older than I think, um, you know, in 20 years, how long it's been like that you have proven that you don't need to do that to reach those levels. Well, I also think it's, it's an interesting one because I have, I have conversations with older colleagues, right, that have been in the bank for way longer than than I've been alive. And, you know, they're really shocked as well to see the, the change in the narrative and the openness of, mm-hmm. you can just drop your managing director an email and say, do you know what, you need to do better at X, Y, this. Yeah. And they have to listen to you. Yeah. But I do think that's a, it's a culture change, right? The, the way the world is now is very different from what it was 20, 30 years ago. And even, you know, some of the language and narrative that we use now is completely transformed from mm. what my parents knew. Um, there is still a long way to go. I, I will never say that there's so much more that needs to be done, but I do believe we are changing the narrative, but I also feel like people need to stand in their own power and 
this is something that I've always said. I've look, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to stay in the same company for 10 years, but if it hadn't have worked and if it doesn't work, I'm not afraid to go and find a place where the culture is accepting of me and my beliefs and who I am. So I think there's a sense of the individualism of mm. understanding, okay, is this company the right culture for me? And do I need to step away from it? But then also realizing you are you as a person and you can bring some great things with your own personality into a company. Yeah, that's that's really, really interesting. And just just on the you know the, the changes that we are hopefully seeing much more of in society is it a generational thing is it you know what, what do you put it down to the fact that things have and as you said still a very long way to go but the fact that things are seemingly going that way what do you put it down to do you know what i so i know this will probably upset some people great, I, I, great. I, I that's my favorite type of thing <laughs> I do think it is a generational thing. I think when I look at my mum and dad and, you know, again, some older colleagues, a lot of a lot of the narrative is you work hard, you keep your head down, you don't make noise, right? And you get on with your job. And that was the narrative. Mm. I think <laughs> millennials, Generation Z, we don't necessarily feel that way. We feel like if something... Make as much noise as you can. Make as much yeah. noise as you possibly can. And I think that really has been the reason why we've been able to see a bit of a dial change. Um, obviously the workforce, the way the workforce looks is is different now as mm -hmm. well than what it was 10 years ago. And, and, you know, we're seeing more millennials in kind of more senior roles and yeah. things like that. So I do think it is going to change massively. And, and it's, it's something that's always going to uh, develop and change, right? Bankers yeah. 200 years ago was very different than bankers now. Sure. Right? Um, so, yeah, it is definitely kind of moving. But I think you know, my, my older colleagues might not be too happy at that. But I do think it is a millennial and generation Z thing where we just, we know our right and we know what's wrong and what's not. And yeah. we just won't really stand for it if we don't believe in it. Yes. And I think one of the biggest, if I was uh, the boss of a bank, and I'm not for many, many reasons, but if I was, that would be the thing that scares me the most in the sense of, you know, if you fail to make these accommodations, rightfully so, and fail to elevate people based on merit, you know, and not anything else, you're not going to be able to get talent no, because massively. people realize their worth. People re and, and there are so many options for monetizing your own skills. Your own, it, it's just not going to work anymore. I, I gave a talk at a corporate recently on neurodiversity, right. massive, you know, yeah. multi-billion um, property management company. And one of the hot topics, I was the only external on the panel. Okay. Everyone else was internal right. to the company. And they're having a, a really lively debate over whether people should be allowed to wear headphones you know, right, in the office. And it's like, okay, well, if, if that's, you know, if the conversation's still there, there in some places, it's like, wow, I mean... We still have a long way to go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's, um, yeah, it's really interesting to see that. But I think, you know, Gen Z is going to be a big part of, of, of changing that. Massively. Um, and, and out of interest, you know, what do you think are the uh, the biggest things that still need to change? You know, where, 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 where would you see, hope to see more of in the next few years? Um, I would hope to see more, you know managing directors c-suite position and above black women um i think it's interesting because obviously there's and i hate this terminology but the the bame kind of terminology right that was used for a few years and i think once they've broken into it they realize the b isn't necessarily as reciprocated as the a and some mm. others so um especially in the banking world you know i 
I, I can't say that I personally know a lot of black women mm. that are at that position. Um, that's what I would like to see a little bit more. But also I would like to see us at the tables making some of these decisions, right? Because at the end of the day, when we look at our consumer base, mm. our consumer base is diverse. Yeah. Right? So yeah. our, our board should be reflective of our consumer base. So I think there's still a lot of work to do there. And, you know, most executive boards are very... Uh, white and middle yeah. class and you know retired um yeah. so there's still a big way to go and i think once we start seeing boards being changed and the boards looking different mm. then i think we'll see some real big impactful differences in recruitment and in the people mm, yeah i mean you know speaking uh about my industry you know i've had meetings with hundreds of vcs investors I could probably name you a handful yeah. of, of black women that I've spoken yep. to in those positions, you know, and it's, it's terrible. And, but it, as you said, you know, it's got to start with uh, the top because those are the people influencing decision-making, exactly. hiring, all those things. And it's, it's yeah, it's in, it shocks me. And and not just black women, but, you know, black people in general, the, the amount that I have met on this journey is nowhere near enough versus 100%. you know what what's the reality of of you know the demographics that we live in so there is still so much to go but it i i i, I think it's really interesting that you know it's got to start at the top i do i think there's a lot of you know conversation around that middle management piece and um you know in my experience we do see a lot of uh black and kind of other other minorities as well at the lower end of kind of roles right but again those aren't the decision makers mm -hmm. and those aren't the ones that are making kind of the policies and the new products mm. and um again so i think when we're looking at things that need to be changed within the system we need to be looking higher than those middle managers mm -hmm. yeah totally totally okay really, really interesting and tell me you know when you got the mba what does that feel like just there'll be so many oh, people who hear this like it's one of those things which is so you know outside of most people's experience of life like just just break it down for us it was a madness um <laughs> so yeah no the whole the so I, I was very fortunate i got to actually go into buckingham palace Amazing. um so i walked through the front doors which was really strange because there was loads of people taking photos so the only time i've ever been to buckingham palace was on a school trip right? okay yeah, yeah so i've never ever been before um i was very fortunate that i was able to take my mum my dad and my nan there so that, that was, must be a proud family that moment. was uh, like the pictures that they <laughs> yeah. took was absolutely amazing but um so we went in and uh i'll be completely honest the first thing i noticed was wow there is a lot of gold and a lot of like artifacts and a lot of photos yeah. right more than i've ever seen <laughs> in my life um but the whole experience was very surreal mm. Uh, like so we got to kind of walk in through the palace and we got kind of sh uh, chauvinered into like a music room where okay. we went into kind of a waiting room um, again when I look at that room there wasn't many diverse people sure. in the room and yeah. that was kind of the first thing me and my family noticed was like I think we're the only black, black family yeah. here um, but then you know it, it was amazing because I think whilst I might not see myself as a massive royalist sure. I, I recognise what that meant to my mum and my dad mm. and my nan, right? Especially coming to this country in, in the Windrush times yeah. and they wasn't necessarily accepted or, or wanted um, to now having actual personal invitations with their name on it, inviting yeah. them to Buckingham Palace. Um, that kind of made me realise this is so much more bigger than me, mm. right? And I think, again, it's, it's that bigger picture of recognising yes. that 
more young black men and women should be walking through yeah. the doors of that yeah. and being recognized for what they've done for the country yeah um so yeah for me it was very surreal i don't think it's like even when you introduced me as natalie ogiva mb i was like oh my gosh yeah that is me isn't it um it hasn't really sunk in but i think i'm recognizing what it means to other people and and i just want to keep opening that doors for more more young people to be yeah. honest because because it's a really interesting thing and and you know if this is not something uh you want to talk about we can cut this out after but i do find it really interesting which is obviously with the history of the monarchy and the reality of colonialism you know uh an mbe could be a controversial yeah. thing but i think you know your point about again trailblazing you know opening those doors that's in many ways it's it's more that's than, that's yeah. exactly what it is and i think it's it's the you know the recognize the recognition that it does like your where you come from and your background shouldn't stop you from being in these spaces and being in these rooms and look society makes it that way mm -hmm. right society makes it super hard um but if i can just even inspire one young black girl in school to think do you know what i can do banking and you know what i am going to get an mbe at this point yeah. then i've i've done my job right yeah. because i never imagined or dreamed i put in natalie and mbe in the same sentence that was mm -hmm. never a conceptual thing so if it gets more young people thinking do you know what i do deserve this and i want to achieve that then that's more than enough for me yeah and i think as well you know um as someone who spent a lot of my young life really like hating the system yeah massively lots of massively, different reasons yeah and um, Unfortunately, it's very, very difficult as an individual to change entire systems. The way we can change the world is inspire people. 100%. You know, it's about inspiring great. individuals. And if you can change 10 people's life, 20 people's life, one person's life, whatever it is, that's how you change the world. Because the impact of that, like how proud you made your family, how proud they make their family and inspires others, like that that's the only way that we can, as individuals, really change the world. No, exactly. And, and, and this is it. And I think there was, it's interesting because I had, um, had a DM dm <laughs> the other day and it was from someone that i went to school with that was a few years younger than mm -hmm. me um and she messaged me and she was like you know what you've really inspired me over the years i've actually got a job in this doing this wow. and i've joined this network and to me that's what this is all about it's not i like i said i'm not a royalist i i don't there's certain things i don't agree with and you know yeah, <laughs> i think that's like a lot of people in this world a anyone who who doesn't can't say well, that I'm, you know yeah. <laughs> i'm very happy it was princess royal and that was sure. giving it to me um but no i think i think like i said that there's the power in storytelling and, and that's probably what i wish i had had um I understand that my background kind of gave me the motivation to feel mm. like I don't need that storytelling to be able to achieve. But some people don't, right? Some mm. people need to see it to believe it. Yes. So, yeah, if I can just show that to one person and that one message, I was like, yeah, that's me done. I've done my job for 2023. I the can rest is a bonus. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's that's amazing to hear. And where, you know, in an ideal world, if you could harness all the amazing things that you've done and, and harness that story, what would you like to achieve? Oh, what would I like to achieve? That's a good question. Um, so <laughs> I studied government and politics when I was younger mm -hmm. um, and I always wanted to be an MP. It is politics, again, about trying to change the world. <laughs> and when I studied it, I realised it's a little bit more complicated than sure. I think. Um, but definitely lobbying certain political causes that I think is important is something that I want to get into. I think, again, when we're looking at mental health mm -hmm. and now especially being a mum and kind of the childcare costs and things like that I'm recognizing yeah. there's so much more that 
could be done to really help people kind of level the playing field for opportunities right and um I think this is like life right you go through life you experience different things and you're like ah I'd never realized that this was an issue. Mm. This is something I want to kind of participate in to change the narrative. So I think lobbying would definitely be one for me in terms of what I would love to mm -hmm. achieve. Um, I guess in, in the long haul is just so I've set up a podcast. Um, it's called The Hustle Table. Okay. And essentially, the, the, the uh, if I could speak, yeah. we created it because we was tired of waiting for a table to be created for us. So we created our own table, That's sharing knowledge and, and kind of content. And I guess for me, it would be growing that bigger. Because um, again, I'm conscious just like this, there's an, a big piece when it comes for amplification of mm. messages. Um, so yeah, I guess in, in my sense, lobbying would definitely be one and growing the hustle table out yeah. as well would definitely be the second kind of thing that I would like to focus that isn't yeah. career based. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting and, and really these days the two go hand in hand. Massively. Right? I think influencer-led change is, <laughs> it's really the only change we have anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially when the government do doesn't really do anything that well necessarily and might be a controversial thing to say, but um, I think it's it's only going to you know continue to go that way, especially as um, you know government's money gets tighter. They don't have well. Their, this is it. If yeah. you look at like the Marcus Rashfords, for example, mm -hmm. right where where they they kind of lobbied in terms of free school meals and things like that. That that was always on the government's. Yeah, they know about it, but sometimes you need that influential person in like the community to kind of push and get the verbatim out about it. So there definitely is an importance of that influencer type mm -hmm. lobbying. Um, yeah, that's something that I would love to kind of get into a little bit more. Yeah, it's I think uh, as a United fan as well, obviously. Oh, yeah. I'm an Arsenal fan. Okay, so. <laughs> well, sorry, well we, we have Marcus Rashford. So, I mean, yeah. I know, <laughs> <laughs> but I think. And I remember, like, um, when because it was during uh, COVID, right? Yes. It was during lockdown, and I remember thinking it was incredible because that is uh, an amazing example of someone using the system that Massive. wasn't created for them, but using it in that way. Exactly. Right. You know, football is one of those things where it's like you, you it will put put you to that spot, but you're expected to follow the party line. You know, your every media interview is oh, it was a game of two halves, like you know, all the usual stuff, and to use that for that power is incredible. I think that I, I would love for more footballers to follow his fashion, I think. I think a lot of footballers have, you know, great profiles. But again, like I said, it's it's all within your lane, right? And I think, mm. you know, there's there's something powerful that we can do in banking as well in terms of, you know, making some of our products a little bit more accessible. Um, but again, it's it's all in, in those little pockets of what you're passionate about right yeah. so um yeah that was definitely future forward thinking for me is getting involved in some lobbying yeah amazing i love that okay cool i've got not quick fire or anything <laughs> but a few questions cool. i ask everyone what is the biggest risk you've taken and what happened oh what is the biggest risk i have taken this is a good question um probably the biggest risk i have taken was i have two which Great. is funny so the biggest risk uh, in my career is probably when um, <laughs> I, uh, so I decided, so I'd been working in business banking for kind of a long time. Um, and I, I'm one of those people that I will do a role for, uh, you know, a period of time. And then once I feel like I'm very comfortable with it, I'm like, okay, what's next? Mm -hmm. I don't like to kind of 
relax in a role I'm like okay I like to challenge myself so what 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 next am I going to get involved in um and I remember and I love telling this story because I think a lot of people do have the same type of conversations um working with kind of bosses and stuff so I remember um I wasn't feeling kind of motivated in my role and I had a conversation with our area leader at the time um and I said look I really want to kind of look for that next step up I really want to kind of develop myself I was probably around 24 Mm -hmm. 23 at the time um and the next role up was that assistant vice president role yeah um so I had this conversation with her very transparent and I remember her saying to me I think you should wait a couple of years. I think you're quite young. I think you need to develop yourself in terms of, you know, what you want to do a little Mm -hmm. bit more. I think, you know, just just wait it out. Um, And I remember thinking, as as much people would do, they would be like, okay, maybe she's right. Maybe, you know, I should wait it out. And I thought, no, because she doesn't know who I am, right? So she doesn't know my attitude and my aptitude. So um, went behind her back. (laughs) and uh, made a few connections in terms of finding out that assistant vice president role yeah um what that looked like I applied for a few roles um I was successful and then I had to drop out the news that I was planning to leave (laughs) um but yeah I think how did that go down that I mean she was a bit shocked but I don't feel like she should have been to be honest yeah um I think trying to hold people back that's what happens this is it right Mm. and I think you know if for me, that was a risk because if I hadn't got the job, she still would have got notified that I was applying for roles. Yeah. So that might have caused some issues within within the team. And I guess looking back, I might have been a little bit more transparent to say, do you know what? That's what you believe, but I will still go and look for roles. And um, I was very fortunate I was able to get something. Yeah. Um, but that was probably the biggest risk kind of in my career. And it's funny because a lot of people would say setting up the Black Founders Programme, did mm. you not find that as a risk? And I didn't find that as a risk. I found that as a, something that we needed to do. And if, if they wasn't going to do it, then I probably would have left, yeah. to be honest. Again, when you look at the culture and does that culture fit for me, if you're not listening to our people, then the culture isn't right. So I wouldn't... It's funny because, yeah, a lot of people might say, Black Founders Accelerator, wouldn't yeah. you think that's a risk? And no, that was something that we had to do. I think... That particular one was mm-hmm. probably a risk for me in my career if that had got back. Um, but yeah, that that's probably one work one See, that I could talk about. It's, that's so interesting because, um, you know, in both those situations, right, setting up the Black Founders yeah. Group and then going for this promotion, that shows you like the two sides of um, how to empower people. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, By your boss, you know, trying to put you off it, it made you have to go round a back yeah, route, 100%. which could have had a negative side. But when, you know, the the business empowered you to create that, obviously it's allowed exactly. you to flourish, right? Exactly. So it's so funny how um, risks, you know, that we take, sometimes they're only risks. That because pe- of who you're around, exactly. 100%. And yeah. I think um, I say this a lot when I go speak to colleagues is develop yourself in terms of knowing other teams and knowing other departments, especially when you work for big organisations, mm-hmm. because the culture that you might find at one place, and it's really strange, right? Because you would think if it's one bank, then it would, should be the same culture. But yeah. you have little subcultures depending on like your team leader or your sure. manager or what they like. So a lot of the time I say to people, go and explore. Um, and I think, you know, that team that I was in where I asked for the promotion and I wanted to do it and I wasn't supported wasn't the right team for me. But I knew that. Right. Which is why I wanted to move across. Yeah. And 
I think the team that I was in when I set up the Black Founders Accelerator, I was so comfortable to do that. And that's because of the culture and the yeah. ethos of our team that we have there. And it's the one team I've stayed the longest at in my whole career. So yeah. I think that also says something as well. Absolutely. And you won't be surprised like so many people I speak to on this podcast, it's the same thing in terms of the risk is staying in your comfort zone. Exactly. You know, that's the biggest Massively. risk. If you're if you're you know set up that way mentally, like that's the risk. Because like, well, I'm getting a bit too comfortable. Things are getting a bit too a little easy bit. Because yeah. in my head, I'm like, oh, Natalie, you've been you've been in this team for like four and a half years now. Should you be looking at somewhere else? And it's like, you don't always have to go with that, right? You don't always have to do the joy humping. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I also feel like at this point of my life, where I'm at, being a new mum to a two year old, and you know also managing that balance and trying to do like my side hustle with the, yeah. the hustle table this team is perfect it, it, like I get to do a job that I absolutely love where I support Amazing. entrepreneurs every day and um, I also got the flexibility where I can be a mum as well which yeah. is is really important at this point in time in my life so yeah, yeah I'm loving it that it's uh, it goes back to what you're saying about childcare right if you don't have those provisions in it can be so limiting so it's amazing to hear that you know you've got that balance and that's something which a lot of people wish they had exactly exactly yeah yeah and i guess is that a big part of the you know you recognizing that as that big part of the driver for the desire to lobby massively massively i think there is (laughs) i was one of those people um as a colleague that used to be like why am i you know managing this saturday because Uh, Harry can't come in or xyz right and you know when you become a mum yourself or a parent yourself you really understand that it's really not as easy as as it's made out so I think there's you know going through maternity leave and um, coming back to work and I I also speak of the lack of confidence you get as well when you've been out of the business for so long so I had never taken time off of work Mm. right I'd never taken I think I in my maternity leave, I took about nine months or, or mm. 10 months. That's the longest career break I've ever had sure. in the 10 years that I was working. When I came back to the business, I think that it's not really spoken about the lack of confidence that you have. Is being that like out. self-confidence? Self-confidence, or co- or confidence massively. the business have, has a new after I think being it was out. self-confidence. Right. So I always, 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 anyone that knows me knows I'm the mouthy girl from South East London. But when I came back, I was so quiet. And I think it was the confidence of, can I really say this? Like, I haven't been in the business for nine months. Like, mm-hmm. is my opinion valid? X, Y, Z. And that's all, you know, self-afflicting. That's yeah. not anything that anyone has kind of said to me. But it's about going through that journey as well. Um Look, I I can go and talk about childcare for Kingdom Come and the prices mm-hmm. of it, right? But I think the national, the whole world in the UK should know how expensive childcare is at the moment. Yeah. Um, that itself, I can imagine, like, if I didn't have a good settings with a partner mm-hmm. and, you know, we're both working together, I would definitely not have been able to come back full-time and pay yeah. for full-time childcare. Um, but I don't think women should have to be forced to have that choice, right? I yeah. think, especially now... If I want to be a mum and a successful person in my career, I should be able to do both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of things in that, as you can see, I'm like, Ugh. so I would, uh, those are a couple of bits that I would yeah. definitely want to lobby. No, I mean, it's something which, you know, I hadn't appreciated a couple of years ago. I just turned 31. So now like friends starting to have kids and it's like, when I actually talk to them about the costs, it's mad. I can't believe it. But I can see now, like if you, with energy prices where they are, with interest rates where they are, cost of childcare it's like 
you know, I think we're probably both in a very fortunate position yeah. in terms of, you know, what, what our earnings yeah. are like. But I, I'm shocked and, and there must be, you know, the amount of people who are just struggling to, to make those three things happen right now. It's, it's, tough. it's tough. And I think especially, you know, COVID changed the game massively i think but you know trying to have that balance and then also you're not just doing a job right so you're doing a job between nine to five and then you've got another job mm. after waiting for you so it is very intense and i think you know a lot more support needs to be given to parents in, yeah. in that journey um and a lot more needs to be done yeah i i can't like i would yeah i have problems with guilt anyway like i always feel guilty about stuff like it's you know if you were in that situation where you're worried about childcare, it's going to be so difficult to not sacrifice the professional yes. part because of that, you know, that, that feel, that parental Massive. feeling, whatever it is. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, you know, terrible that people still have to make that choice. It is. Okay. So another question for you is what, this is going to be a tough one. All right. What are you proudest of? Mm. What am I proudest of? Um, that is a good question. I would probably say I'm proudest of the way I have pivoted um, in my life. So if I think back to when I was that mathy young teenager, um, look, I remember teachers telling me in school that I would never make anything of myself. I asked too much questions. I had too much attitude and I would probably have a kid by the age of 21. Um but I also had teachers that believed in me, right? So I think I, if I had listened or even if I had gone the route that a lot of people think mm -hmm. that we go down, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I think I, I was definitely going down that route, right? I, you know, uh, like when I lost my brother at 15, I kind of went off the rails a little bit, stopped going to school um, and, you know, really struggled. And... When I look at the Natalie that I am now, I, I don't think I ever would have imagined I would have been that Natalie when I was 15 years old. And I think that's probably the proudest thing for me is because I found a video the other day um, of me speaking when I was 16 and it said that I didn't think that I would ever make it to 21. Wow. And for me watching that, I'm like, did I really think mm. that I wouldn't? And I, 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 de I definitely remember feeling like that. And yeah. I think the way I've been able to pivot that and also the way I've been able to spin a positive mental attitude on things. I think when I speak to a lot of people, they're like, I can't believe you've gone through all of that. Mm. Um, and a lot of the time I say I, I didn't know any better, right? So I grew up knowing about mental health. It's not like my mum got mental health when I was older, right? So that was always my world. And then, um, you know, with my brother passing away, I was quite young when that happened. And I, one of the things that I do say is young people are very resilient. And yeah. when I look at how I navigated that situation and how I was able to go to school and do a statistics exam a week after in passing, like yeah. for me, that's mental, but it shows the strength that I had then. I just didn't realise the right way to use it and to amplify myself. So I think the way I've navigated my life and changed kind of my prospects is probably the one thing that I'm proudest of because I never actually thought I would be here that's doing incredible. what I'm doing today. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, thank you for sharing that as well. And, you know, if you if you take yourself back to 15, because you mentioned, was it XR? XLP. XLP, XLP. So when that opportunity came along, I mean, did 
you know, sometimes opportunities find you, sometimes yeah, you find yeah, the opportunity, yeah. right? You know, how, how do you see that? And, you know, because obviously the way that you've taken every opportunity that's come your way, you know, and, and is that something which, again, you know, you, you're passionate about now because it's obviously something which has worked so well for you? I think it was a mix of both. I think, look, the opportunity came to me, but remembering how I was when I was when I was 16, I was very happy to say no. Mm. I was very happy not to do it. Um, but I think understanding that, uh, what opportunities are as well so <clears throat> during our time at XLP we kind of learned what a good opportunity is what a bad opportunity is right and when you hear it as latent terms as that you think oh you must know right mm-hmm. but when you're 15 and someone's like oh yeah you can make this quick money over on this side and you know you might get in trouble for it but it's quick money mm-hmm. that's a bad opportunity but in your head you're thinking that money is a good opportunity sure. right so just having those types of life lessons at 15 which they don't really teach you in school let's be honest I'm they, not at all, I right? know about pi 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 figures I can't even say it it's all right you don't need to know, it. don't it's know fine, it. yeah. Um, but yeah no there were certain life lessons that they kind of taught me in XLP and again they took me out of situations where I never thought I would be in and I realised, okay, there is so much more of a bigger world than what I know of, um, and Greenwich mm. and Woolwich, right? Mm. Um, and that was amazing for me. And I think that's probably carried me through is understanding what's a good opportunity, but also what you can say no to and having your boundaries for that as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, such an important part of it. Like, like a lot of people uh, struggle to say no. Oh, massively. You know, it's something I've struggled with to say no. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you have the best intentions. You don't want to let people down. You think this is an expectation that you have of, of yourself or other people have of you. Learning to say no is one of the most powerful things you can do. It is massively. And I think it's, it's understanding that you can't fill others people's cups if your cup isn't full. Mm. So taking that time out for yourself. Right. And that's something that I've had to learn. Um, Because I was a yes man. Even Mm. at work, I'll be like, yep, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, it's eight o'clock. I've got to do this up my arm. And I really shouldn't have taken on that task to deliver this presentation next week. Um, But it's it's about understanding the balance and the value of things, right? And if is that going to give you the value what of what you want to achieve and what you want to what your ambitions are and revoking that to kind of your your timestamp chart um if you want to say it as such but yeah definitely that there is a massive power in saying no being a mum I've had to learn how to say no because I can't do anything and my my child is not going to be one of those spoiled children yeah Uh, yeah. so that he does get no quite often okay okay (laughs) that's probably a really good way of 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 getting used to that word but no it's it's really interesting because I think um you know ultimately a lot of people spend their lives trying to please everyone exactly and then you learn you can't please everyone right no matter what you do you can't please everyone and the quicker we learn that lesson the better because then you get used to living by your own expectations it's that um saying of if you try to be everyone's cup of tea you'll be end up being a mug so nice yeah (laughs) Yeah. spot spot on okay next one for you if there's anything that you could have done differently Mm. is there there was anything i could have done differently this is a good question honestly probably not right i think I might say, say this in hindsight. I feel like every every no, every hardship that I've gone through has been able to make me the defined me that I am now. So, yeah, if I would go back, I wouldn't I wouldn't change, you know, 
as much I would love to have my brother back, I, I wouldn't necessarily change it because I feel like there's a reason, things happen for a reason, mm. and I don't think I would be the person I am today if I hadn't have had all of that adversity that had happened to me when I was younger. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't change anything. I would, I would, I, I say that. I'm trying to think, is there anything I would change? Maybe having more money, that would be <laughs> Yeah, nice. that's always good, right? You know, that's, that's always, always good, helpful. Yeah. Um, but no, nothing that I would change because yeah. it, it's made me who I am today. Well, this is it, right? This is it. You know, we are uh, uh, the result of all exactly. of our previous experiences. And then if we hadn't had them, we wouldn't necessarily be here. So yeah, it's, it's uh, most people say that. Oh. Although it's, <laughs> no, most people say, but it's funny, like, then I interview someone who's like 60 and they're like, oh yeah, I would have done, yeah, that. I I would have done that differently. I can imagine, sure. yeah. I can imagine. But right now at 28, yeah. nothing yeah. that I would change just yet. Amazing, <laughs> okay, cool. All right, I've got two last questions for you. What does it take to be successful? Oh, I love this question. Uh, what does it take to be successful? Grit, I think. I think you need to have grit and you have to have, to have motivation and self-belief in yourself. Um, a lot of people will tell you you can't do it. And especially if they don't have the vision or they don't see it or, you know, they don't recognize that space, they'll tell you to leave it alone. Mm. Um, so just understanding what you want and having that grit within yourself to understand your own journey, I think, is what you need to be successful in anything. Mm -hmm. You can you can learn things, you can develop things over time. Right. I was never someone that knew anything about banking and finance when I first started and now I've got all of my friends asking me about their banking questions right so I think there is there's something powerful in just understanding yourself and what your self-belief is and having that grit to continue through even if you get those closed doors yeah that's amazing and I think it's um you know just to, to add to that most people who tell you no is because they're upset about where they yeah, are. Yeah, massively. You know, it's a reflection of how they feel about themselves. And most people don't want to see you do well because they're like, oh, fuck, I wish I was I wish I'd. Well. Yeah. And I've realised that over my yeah. time as well. Yeah. This is where our generation has just got it right. You know? I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my last one for you is 15-year-old Natalie walks in the room right now. Oh, What gosh. are you going to tell her? 15-year-old uh, Natalie walks in the room. What am I going to tell her? Continue to be bold and to be brave. There will be hardship. There will be moments where you feel like you can't do it. But you have the strength in you to continue. And you have shown that. So just believe in yourself and believe in your source because you got that source. <laughs> That's what I'll tell 15-year-old Natalie. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, anything you want to plug? Um, of course. So if anyone would like to see any of our Hustle Table content, they can follow us on The Hustle Table. We are on everywhere, TikTok, uh, social media. Um, my LinkedIn, I tend to do videos and posts just based off of stuff that I go through during the week. Um, so if any kind of young professionals are interested in that, it's just Natalie Ojiva at MBE. Amazing. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.